0: This episode of Commons is brought to you by Endy, the leading online sleep brand in Canada. Endy uses proprietary Endy Comfort Foam to make a mattress that's comfortable, supportive, and keeps you cool all night. Not only is it a great mattress, but it's cheaper than the competitors. And Endy offers a 100-night free trial and free shipping all across the country, so there's no risk involved. Go to endy.ca and use the offer code COMMONS for an extra $50 off. I'm Arshi Mann, the new host of Commons. And today, we're going on a crime tour. Earlier this year, the Trudeau government introduced a bill to revamp the justice system. And deep within that 500-page document was a provision that would significantly reduce the penalties for white-collar criminals. It would mean that companies that engage in a wide variety of crimes, whether it's insider trading, fraud, bribery, stock manipulation, and a bevy of other kinds of wrongdoing, would simply have to own up to what they did, pay a fine, and walk away. The Trudeau government's decision seems odd, considering the fact that white-collar criminals almost never go to prison in Canada. In fact, around the world, Canada is well known to be a haven for white-collar crime, In 20 years, we've prosecuted four people for bribing foreign officials. Only a single insider trader has ever been sent to a Canadian prison, and he was caught by the Americans. And over the last few years, the RCMP has shelved hundreds of investigations into organized crime due to a lack of resources. Even the C.D. Howe Institute, a business-friendly think tank, said last month that Canada's a money laundering paradise and estimates that as much as $100 billion of dirty money is flowing into the country. In fact, when you look just under the surface at some of the most infamous white-collar crimes in the world, Enron, the subprime collapse, even the Trump-Russia investigation, it's not hard to find the Canadian connection. So what gives? In this season of Commons, we'll be looking at stories at the intersection of money, influence, and politics in Canada. Some of them will have to do with these big corporate crimes, and others will be the type of corruption we're more used to hearing about. Shady politicians, backroom deals, hush money, and kickbacks. But to start, I want to take you on a tour to help us better understand why white-collar criminals almost never have to face up to any consequences in this country. If you rob a bank branch, you're probably going to get caught and go to prison. But in Canada, if you rob the whole bank, even if you're caught you're probably walking away fine. When most people in Canada talk about crime-ridden neighbourhoods, they're usually talking about places where poor people live. The downtown east side in Vancouver, Regent Park in Toronto, the north end of Halifax. When I think of criminal neighbourhoods, I really do think of Toronto's financial district. So that's where we're headed today. From canada land, this is Commons. This episode of Commons is supported by Endy. Endy's changing the way Canadians sleep, and their mission is simple, to provide Canadians from coast to coast with the best possible sleep. Endy's headquartered right here in Canada, and its signature product, the Endy Mattress, is 100% Canadian-made, which means they can cut down on duties, currency exchange, and international shipping costs to bring you the best mattress at the fairest possible price. Now, I got an Endy in the mail just recently, and it's it really is a good mattress. It's a great mattress. But what I really want to talk about today is the pillows. Those are some of the best pillows I have ever had. Like, they're really fantastic. I, I never thought that pillows could be so firm and yet soft at the same time. Endy's quality is second to none, and its pricing is even better. With a smaller price tag than its competitors, their mattresses cost between 675 and 950 Canadian dollars. That means even the largest mattress, a California King, costs less than a thousand bucks. You simply can't find that kind of quality to price ratio anywhere else. So go to nd.ca and use the promo code commons for $50 off any ND mattress. Again, that's nd.ca promo code commons. This episode's also brought to you by the Fundamentals of Canadian Law podcast. It's a great way to learn the laws that apply to the stories we hear in the news or understand how the law affects our daily lives. It's a concise and conversational approach to the law, featuring legal experts from one of Canada's leading law faculties. And as someone who's written a lot about legal issues, I can tell you it is immeasurably helpful to have experts like these folks walk you through them. Take, for example, the recent kerfuffle over the Trans Mountain Pipeline. You know, initially it seemed that Kinder Morgan was going to be building it and they'd done consultations. But then the federal government bought the pipeline. But then a federal court brought it down. But now I'm hearing that it might still go through as long as they do some consultations. It's complicated stuff and they really lay out the facts for you. Go on your favorite podcast app and search for fundamentals in the search bar and subscribe to Fundamentals of Canadian Law.
1: See, the problem is a lot of what logically should be considered crimes or forbidden or illegal in the financial industry are completely legal.
0: The person I wanted to take on this tour is Bruce Livesey.
1: So my name is Bruce Livesey. I'm a journalist. I'm based here in Toronto. And uh, I don't know, where does one begin?
0: He's a veteran investigative journalist who's worked for the CBC's Fifth Estate, Global News' 16 by 9 and has over the years written for almost every financial publication in the country. He's also the author of The Thieves of Bay Street, which gives you a pretty good idea what he's about.
1: We got promptly got sued by Conrad Black, who sued us for $3 million. And then last year he withdrew the lawsuit, or as I like to say, you know, crawl back underneath his stone. <laughs> <clears throat> There are so many
0: places we could start this tour. We could take you to Commerce Court, which houses a building that actually used to be the tallest building in the British Empire for about three decades. And now it's home to CIBC. You probably remember Enron. Millions of investors, both great and small, watched in disbelief as $70
1: billion in wealth vanished.
0: A number of banks were alleged to have aided and abetted Enron in their fraud. But it was humble CIBC that was found to be the most liable. And in 2005, they were forced to shell out $2.4 billion for their misdeeds. I could also tell you about the Adelaide Hotel, which used to be called the Trump Tower Toronto. secret payment of $100 million to be sent through various circuitous routes. Financial Times, one of the world's most respected financial publications, has raised questions about whether a $100 million bribe flowed through the project to the Russian government, which they deny for the record. Or I could take you to a condo tower just around the corner from the Rogers Centre, where Saadi Gaddafi, the son of former Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi, owned a penthouse. The 41-year-old former head of Libya's football federation is best known for his fast living. The RCMP has alleged that Canadian engineering firm SNC-Lavalin paid him millions of dollars in bribes to fund his lavish lifestyle that included a private concert by 50 cent during TIFF. But I wanted to start with something you might not have heard of. It's one of my absolute favorite stories from Bruce's book. So we headed down to King and York Street, just a 15-minute walk from the Candleland offices to the Toronto Stock Exchange. So let's let's describe the scene of the crime a little bit. The Toronto Stock Exchange, just like so many other buildings, in any financial center, it's it's kind of ubiquitous. You got you got those big glass windows. It goes up high into the sky, and the only way you'd know that the stock exchange is really is, is even how I was there is they have a little one of those tickers that you see at the bottom of the TV uh, that just tell you the stock price pretty close to the sidewalk over there. I really want you to tell the story of YBM Magnets, (laughs) a small magnet maker based out of uh, uh, of Pennsylvania.
1: Well, the the factory was based out of Hungary. But yeah, the head office was uh, out of Pennsylvania. In
0: 1994, this magnet manufacturer put a listing up on the Alberta Stock Exchange. Within a few years, the stock had skyrocketed in value. And as their revenues grew, more people began to pile in. And they even ended up getting some big names on their board of directors, including a guy named David Peterson, who was the liberal premier of Ontario until 1990. By 1998, the company was worth around a billion dollars. Unfortunately, it had just one small problem.
1: It was a front for a vicious Russian mobster, um, Mogilevich, how do you say it, Simeon Mogilevich. Mogilevich or Mogilevich. Semyon Mogilevich
0: is one of the world's most dangerous men. The boss of bosses of the Russian mafia, he's been known to brutally kill anyone who stands in his way. The FBI has said that with one phone call, Mogilevich has the ability to affect global markets. He may be the most powerful mobster in the world.
1: And was creating this empire in Eastern Europe Um, and at some point realized he needed to launder his money. And initially he tried to do it through the United Kingdom and that didn't work. And then he decided that Canada was the best place to do it. And he he got a foothold first in Alberta and then eventually got a listing on the TSX.
0: So essentially, a small magnet maker makes it
1: onto a stock which exchange. Which didn't actually over- make any magnets. <laughs> it people- was a front. It was yeah. like a, a, what do you call it? a um, Potemkin Village factory in, in, in Budapest that wasn't actually making anything. But auditors and various investors and lawyers would go there and they would do a whole song and dance. They would show them this apparent factory, which was doing nothing. Um, and managed to fool a lot of people.
0: But even with the song and dance, people had known about the connections between Mogilevich and YBM Magnex back to the company's founding. He was even registered as a shareholder. The board of directors, the TSX, they were all warned repeatedly that something uh, was wrong.
1: What was happening behind the scenes was that regulators were being told by the RCMP and the FBI that this was a dirty company.
0: The board hired investigators and set up a special committee to look into the allegations. Those investigators found there were red flags pointing to money laundering and connections to organized crime in Eastern Europe. But the special committee wrote it off as hearsay. And they didn't tell shareholders about the full extent of what the investigators had discovered.
1: The uh, OSC listed them. The TSX listed them. The OSC is the Ontario Securities Commission. We'll get to that later. And uh, it ended up attracting $100 million worth of of investors' money. And within about six months, it was exposed and all that money was gone.
0: And by the time the truth had come out, Mogilevich had already sold his shares. In short, the board knew that the company had some ties to the Russian mafia, but they did not know for a fact that any criminal activity was taking place. And that includes Peterson. The OSC said that while they were disappointed in him, he did fulfill his legal duties.
1: Well, what was shocking, which came out in the investigation, because there was, there was an investigation, there were hearings held, was how disinterested he was in the minutiae and details of the company. He simply wouldn't take notes, he barely attended meetings like he just he was completely aloof and distant even though the allegation was that this company might be a front for organized crime
0: and so what happened to those those directors what happened to the osc i'm sure once again there must have been due fitting punishment
1: well for the old. problem was that the osc themselves were being told they did nothing so they were kinda they couldn't exactly go and you know throw the book at the uh, the directors You know, there there was some penalties. There weren't, but they were fairly minor. No one went to prison. Mogilevich never set foot in prison. I mean, in the 20 years since that's happened, he's still alive and well and prospering.
0: And since then, David Peterson's had a fine career. He was recently chancellor of the University of Toronto. There you go. Very prestigious position. We reached out to Peterson for comment, but he didn't reply back by the time we published. Sophisticated criminals from abroad, like Mogilevich, see Canada as a target. They're looking for a place to put their money, and they're looking for a place that won't ask too many questions. And Canada's more than happy to take that money. When everything does come crashing down, almost nobody has to pay for the consequences. (laughs) ¶¶ Now, to be fair to David Peterson, the whole Magnex scheme was pretty complicated. Involved smoke and mirrors and a fake Hungarian factory and securities and money laundering. You know, this was a sophisticated criminal operation. But it's not always like that. Some of the other crimes just have been very, very dumb. And the scene that I think illustrates that best happened at the former headquarters of one of Canada's most famous criminals. So, I mean, let's let's get a look at this building over here. It's got the kind of old Greco-Roman style columns which gives it old. the indication that this is a fancy important building right, from old, back in the upper, day.
1: Old Upper Canada Wells.
0: <laughs> exactly. And and number 10 Toronto Street. <laughs> I think it's... What we're looking at over here is is a black door with kind of uh, fancy cursive writing on it that I think is supposed to give the impression that this is like 10 Downing Street. Right. The Prime
1: Minister's residence in Britain. Um, So this used to be the uh, head office of Conrad Black's very extensive operation.
0: Long story short... In the 90s, Conrad Black was running the third largest newspaper empire in the world. And that's at a time when newspapers were actually profitable. But by the 2000s, some of Hollinger's investors began to accuse Black and other executives of financial misconduct. In 2005, a report commissioned by Hollinger's board accused Black and another executive of, quote, lining their pockets at the expense of Hollinger almost every day in almost every way they could devise.
1: Um, And that was the beginning of his demise. Because then, you know, then the American authorities began to investigate him, and they charged him with fraud. In the middle of all this, when there's an investigation against him, and there's a court order that comes down in Ontario saying he cannot touch any of his documents that are actually in this building. And literally the next day on a, it's like a, a, a Friday, holiday Friday, he comes to this building with a vehicle and he loads 13 boxes into his vehicle and it's being videotaped. <clears throat> and at one point he points to the video camera so he knows he's being taped. Now his claim was these are just personal effects and we don't know. I mean the boxes were eventually returned mm-hmm. but we don't know.
0: And, and so when Black was coming in on this holiday Friday to take out boxes that he couldn't, he wasn't supposed to take out due to a court order, was he just wearing like his normal getup? Did he at least have a suit on? No, no, he had
1: his suit on. He had his usual business attire on.
0: See, that's, I think, what his real downfall was. He should have dressed up, you know, maybe as the janitor, or at least some kind of costume. Or gotten, you know, a lackey to do it. Yeah, yeah. So this is, uh, like you were saying, this, uh, that's that's criminal really, 101.
1: That's smart.
0: Black was eventually convicted on a number of charges, some of which were overturned on appeal. But one fraud charge, and an obstruction of justice charge related to moving those boxes, stuck. We asked Black for comment on that report commissioned by the Hollinger board, as well as the obstruction of justice charge, and this is what he sent us. Quote, Please note that I collected the largest libel settlement in Canadian history, $5 million, in respect of that report. It pledged to produce record levels of profitability, and instead, within two years, the court appointed stewards of the company, while grossly enriching themselves, had bankrupted the entire group, vaporizing $2 billion U.S. of shareholder value. That is my comment. Regards, Conrad Black. Black was never charged with any crime in Canada. And after he served a sentence in the U.S., he returned to this country, despite the fact that he gave up his citizenship years ago to take a British peerage.
1: He's still not a Canadian citizen, but he's allowed to live here as a convicted felon. Like, where else would that happen? If you were a person of color, color who used to be a Canadian citizen, got a, went to jail in the United States, you're poor, black, you think you'd be allowed back into this country and allowed to live here as a convicted felon? No! <sighs>
0: Alright, after, after a, a brisk little walk, we're now just across from Old City Hall, right next to the Eaton Center. This building is home to both the Ontario Securities Commission as well as the RCMP's IMET, which is short for the Integrated Markets Enforcement Team. They're a white collar crime unit dedicated to taking down exactly the type of stuff we're talking about today. But unfortunately,
1: they're not exactly great
0: at their job.
1: We have a terrible track record. On the policing side, the regulatory policing side of white-collar crime are arguably the worst country in the developed world.
0: A recent Globe and Mail investigation found that even though the RCMP's IMET team was allocated more than $19 million for potential prosecutions between 2005 and 2017, they spent just $500,000 of that money. And when it comes to the regulators, Canada is arguably in an even worse position. We're only one of two developed countries that doesn't have a national securities regulator. The other country? Bosnia and Herzegovina. Instead, every province and territory has its own securities regulator.
1: Which is insane. Because what that means is that here in Toronto, the Ontario Securities Commission is captured by the local financial industry and the legal establishment, the big law, the so-called seven-sister law firms, And, and they don't want a national securities regulator because having a local provincial securities regulator means that it can be run by your friends. Who all live in Forest Hill or in Rosedale and they don't want to put their friends in jail. So if you're a Department of Justice lawyer in Washington, you don't give a shit about the guys in Houston running the scam of Enron. You'll put their you'll put their asses in jail. You'll you'll get a great job at a big law firm if you do that. In Canada it's the opposite. If you're not an aggressive Ontario Securities Commission lawyer and you go after one of the big rich people in Canada, you're not gonna get a job with the big seven sister law firms because they don't want a lawyer who's caused pain to one of their clients. So that is the political dynamic of Canada because it's a a decentralized regulatory system. It allows white collar crime to flourish because the local securities commissions they don't wanna put their friends
0: in jail. And why don't our politicians do anything about it? Why not change the laws or invest more resources into policing and enforcement? I
1: think the second part of it is white-collar crime is not a big issue in this country. It's a big issue. It happens a lot. A lot of money is lost. But politically, it's not a big issue. So they spend hundreds of millions of dollars, even in excess, I would say, probably of at least a billion dollars a year in this country, various police forces chasing after Islamic terrorism. But they spend no money, almost no money, on white-collar crime, even though most Canadians are never going to be affected by Islamic terrorism, never. I mean, the chances of being killed by an Islamic terrorist in this country are so unbelievably remote. But your chances of your money being stolen are extremely high. There was a study done years ago that said one million Canadians had been victims of white-collar fraud, yet they spend almost no money investigating white-collar crime. So it's a very political decision. And it's because they don't want to go after the rich. It's not that complicated. They don't want to go after the rich. And that's the end
0: of our crime tour. We've told you a lot of stories about people and companies in Canada that were never prosecuted for any of their alleged misconduct. But even when people are caught, even the most blatant stock market swindlers, only 10% of them ever face jail time. And the money they steal, almost none of it's ever paid back. For the rest of this season of Commons, we're going to be bringing you more stories about frauds, swindles, and hustles from across the country. And about the governments that enable them look the other way, or even have their own hands in the till. On the next episode of Commons... It's not donuts or a few groceries in those plastic bags. It's cash. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Casually dumped onto the counter at a B.C. casino. We're taking you to beautiful British Columbia. That's your episode of Commons for the week. I'm Arshi Mann. If you're a corrupt politician, business person, or son of a dictator, please get in touch and we may feature you on the show. If not, we'd still love to hear what you think. Tweet us at CanadaLandCommons, that's C-M-N-S. You can also email me at arshi at com. This episode was produced by Kevin Sexton. Our music is by Nathan Burley. And we'll be back every second Tuesday. But if you're interested in listening to the nitty-gritty of what's going on in Parliament Hill, check out our other politics podcast, Oppo, that you can find next Tuesday. If you like what we do, please support us at Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer.